morning, good morning. Great to see you. Lively crowd. Love it. If you, uh, if you weren't here with us last week, we're actually in the second week of a message series entitled, uh, we're calling The Deep End. I'm going to move this over just a little bit. There it is. A message series entitled The Deep End. And uh, what we're doing is over, well, I said it was three weeks, but I think it's going to be four. Over four weeks, we're really talking about this journey towards spiritual maturity and talking about what it looks like. And of course, uh, when we think about maturity, uh, obviously we often think about ages and stages. So we think of little kids and we think of, you know, uh, adolescent stage and adulthood and, and on and on. And so we're using that analogy, but we're also using this, this swimming pool analogy because all of us have learned how to swim. All of us know what it feels like to be around a pool, watching people learn how to swim. And so we're using this analogy as we talk about spiritual maturity. As I said last week, my goal for this series really is, is three things. Number one is to to ask the question, what does spiritual maturity look like? What are the stages of spiritual maturity? So we're going to discuss that. Secondly, I'm hoping that over these three or four weeks that you would be able to identify where you're at. So you'd be able to say, okay, I'm 15, I'm 45, I'm 65, whatever your age is, but you could say, as far as my spiritual maturity goes, here's where I'm at. To be able to identify where you're at. And lastly, how to take steps towards continuing to progress in your spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? So let me just do a little bit of recap from last week before we pick up some new stuff. Uh, last week I talked about three stages of development. So when Jesus talked about spiritual maturity, what it means to grow in faith, uh, to advance in the kingdom of God, he uses farming analogy, seed and growth. And stage one is germination, that seed takes root and comes alive in your heart. And that's what happens when a person hears the message of Christ and they receive his love and his grace. Something starts to change on the inside. A seed, the word, faith takes root in you. And then there's this process of growth where that, that faith begins to grow into something and you can begin to distinguish what it is. Oh, look, it's a, it's a tomato plant. It's an oak tree. You can see as it grows what it will become. And finally, the final stage of maturity is fruitfulness. And that's where it produces fruit and does something significant. So you have these three phases that Jesus talks about. John, we're going to look at John's uh, epistle today. He actually uses this analogy, which we're going to talk a lot about today, because this is probably the easiest for us to understand. He talks about people who are new to faith like little children. People whose faith is undeveloped like little children. And then he talks to young men. And he's like, you young men, you're strong and you're able. And then he talks to the fathers. And so he gives us this we all understand the human analogy of growth, and he's going to use that to talk about spiritual maturity. Uh, throughout our series, you can throw the next one up, we're talking about swimming. And so we're kind of, these categories are here, we're talking about the shallow end of the pool, being that place where your, your faith and the fundamentals of your faith are developed. You learn how to paddle and keep your head above the water, and you're learning the fundamentals of swimming. And then you go to the deep end, and that's where we're going to be today. Who's excited? Deep end? Yeah. The deep end's where all the fun's happening, Right. People are doing backflips and, and people are uh, swimming to the bottom and front crawl, back crawl, all that stuff. So that's all happening in the deep end. And that's the growth phase. And then finally, we have the lifeguard. And this is the person that's on the deck caring for, watching out for the safety of others, teaching others how to swim. So you've got this pool and swimming analogy that kind of falls in line with everything that we've been talking about. So before we start anything new, here's the question that we asked last week that we need to ask again. Why is spiritual maturity a topic worth discussion? Why are we taking four weeks to talk about this as a church? And the answer is our expectation of others will be based upon their development level. Let me give you a really crude example because I love those. My wife and I have, uh, we have had the privilege of, of uh, we're raising four children. By the way, they're all in the adolescent stage. So um, this, this whole talk about the deep end is going to be really fun. Um, so we have these four children and 
and one of the things I noticed, my wife is very much about manners and being appropriate. Me, less so. And I noticed that there was this interesting thing happened when our kids were really small, when they were babies, and she'd feed them, and then they would, you know, they'd be going through a little discomfort, and then they would burp, or they would pass gas, and she would cheer. She's like, oh, yeah, you did it! Yes, good job! And then I, something I noticed is that she never once cheered for me. <laughs> never, never once. And we all, we laugh because we all know why that is. The expectations you have of an infant and a child are different than the expectations you have for an adult. Am I, am I right? Okay? This, this is the way it works. Um, little babies, man, they, you can be talking to them. Hey, hi, oh, you're so cute. And you're right in their face, you're interacting and stimulating, and they'll just be like, and then, and what do we say? It's adorable. They just fell asleep in the, I have fallen asleep while having conversations with people, and it is not well received. I mean, when you're in for your employment review, you're like, just a sec. (sighs) Like, it's not going to end well for you, okay? So things that are adorable and cute and normal at the infancy stage are not at the maturity stage. You with me? Little kids, they can wear pajamas all day, and it's awesome. Actually, a lot of adults have been wearing pajamas all day for two years. It's time to put your pants on. I'm just saying... It's time to get going again. Um, It's incredible though, like you know that there are certain things at each stage. And so like my wife and I, our kids are all in the adolescent, teen, young adult stage. And what's incredibly interesting is like our first teenager, he would start to be kind of pushy and like argumentative. And we took it, we were really offended by it. We're like, oh, how dare you? Because we're thinking like if an adult spoke to us like that, we would be, this would be like an all at, but it's like, as, or, as more kids come along, it's like, oh, okay, this is actually part of the stage. And so understanding the stages of the development actually helps you in your interactions with other people. And just like this is true when you're dealing with kids and teenagers and young adults and adults, you treat them differently and your expectation level of them is vastly different depending on their stage. And in the same way, when it comes to things of faith, when it comes to the church community, when someone enters into the community and we have a lot of people part of our church, and as they enter into the community, they're all entering at different levels of development. The problem is, we can't see it like we can physically. You see someone, you're like, oh, they're an adult. I can tell. They have gray hair. They look mature. Um, I wasn't looking at you. I wasn't. <laughs> you, you can look at somebody, you go, man, they, they're mature. I can tell. But in spiritual things, you can't. I mean, you can see somebody who looks so accomplished, so mature. They're 50 years old, but they are a babe in the faith. They're, they are still learning how to dog paddle when it comes to spiritual things and the truths of Scripture. So it's really, this is why this conversation is so important. It's because your expectation on others is actually determined by their level of development. And so it's really important for us to be able to identify what are the levels of spiritual maturity. Uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I love this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. That, that makes sense. I thought like a child. Kids think differently than adults do. I reasoned like a child. This, because I was a child, this made sense. But he says, when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. So there's this really interesting dynamic as we're talking about spiritual maturity, and it's this. When our children are new and they're young and they're infants and they're learning to walk, our, our expectations on them are very low and our grace is very high. But as they age and as they develop, we naturally, if we're good parents, if we're good mentors, if we're good grandparents, our expectation of those children rises as their ability rises. And so what happens is there's less grace 
and more required. And that's how the child develops. And it, this is true in the church as well. It's possible for people to enter into church and to learn spiritual truth and to sit in the rows uh, and just and just keep acquiring knowledge, but not actually being called up. And so you get this really interesting dynamic where in Hebrews, and we're not going to read it today, but um, the writer of Hebrews talks about how God disciplines those he loves, that he he calls his sons and his daughters higher that, that it, sometimes, you know, if God knows that you're ready to go to the next level and you're just lazy and you don't want to do it, He's going to actually put the heat on you because that's what a good and loving Father does. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't you know that the fact that God is disciplining you and making it difficult is because He loves you and He knows that you're ready and He's calling you higher. You, you understand what I'm saying? So this is, so when it comes to spiritual maturity, there's this dance that has to be played. And we're going to talk more about this dance next week because that's, we're going to talk about spiritually mature people. One of the characteristics of a spiritually mature person is they know when to apply grace and when to call people higher, when to correct, when to come alongside and hug. It's, there's a really, really, uh, there's a wisdom required to know what each person needs to identify the stage that someone else is at and to bring them along. So today uh, we're going to be uh, in the deep end. One last verse, uh, Hebrews 5. We read this last week and it simply makes this point. The writer of Hebrews says, for you ought to be teachers by now. You've been doing this Christian walk long enough that you should be mature. You should be teaching others. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not food. So we discover that even in the first century, even with the apostles alive, Christians were getting stuck at the child level. Christians are getting stuck at the adolescent level of their spiritual growth and not progressing forward. I showed you this graphic last week. Uh, where we talked about people can easily get stuck in this infancy level. And one of the, the key descriptors of an infant is that they are dependent. If your faith depends on someone else, you're still here. If you can't explain your faith and defend your faith, at least at a basic level, you're here. And there's nothing wrong with here. We love spiritual infants. We just want you to grow to the next stage, which is adolescence. Okay, I've got a little picture of a pool which is coming up here. And again, this is, this is our idea of the, the swimming pool. Um, most of us learn the fundamentals of swimming in the shallow end. And as I said last week, when I was a kid, I learned how to swim and I learned how to swim in the water and I desperately wanted to be a big boy and swim in the deep end with all the teenagers, right? They were doing backflips and whip kicks and, and they were diving and doing all this cool stuff. And I thought one day, and then eventually I got to the deep end and I was there and I learned to do all those things. It's funny in the deep end, you learn things like the, I was thinking about this, the butterfly. I don't know how many of you actually know how to do the butterfly where you do this whip kick and you're like coming out of the water with your shoulders and you look at it, it's like, that's an advanced maneuver. I have never seen someone swimming across the lake doing a butterfly. Like it's so absurd. Uh, you're learning these skills you'll never use. It's kind of interesting. So the deep end is the place where we develop our skills and where we continue to move forward. And a lot of people over the years have said to me, pastor, we just need to get deeper deeper we need to go to the deep end scripturally we need longer services we need longer worship we need prophecy we need healing we need deep deep deeper and so what it's interesting about that when i hear people say that i love it because i'm like they want to go deeper that's great but it also it also helps me to understand a little bit about where their frame is at see when i was growing up in church and i spent a lot of time in church uh some of you'll know this i from the time I was like a baby, I was at church and my parents are pastors. So I grew up in the church, around the church. I went to all different denominations and spiritual maturity. When we talked about that 
Everyone talked about spiritual maturity, but nobody ever did what I'm doing, defining what the stages look like. What are the characteristics? So we just all just made assumptions. And these are the assumptions that most people make when it comes to spiritual maturity. Today, I want to show you that they're wrong. Okay. Here's, here's the assumption. Spiritually mature people know a lot of Bible. And what, what's, there's a, there, well, I'm going to explain this in a little bit, but they, they know a lot about it. So if somebody can quote a lot of verses, understands a lot of theology, you know, been to seminary or whatever. They've got a lot of Bible knowledge. You go, oh, they're spiritually mature. Or the person has leadership ability or heaven forbid you give them a title. <clears throat> it's like deacon, elder, presbyter, pastor, reverend, whatever. So you give somebody a title and you're like, they must be spiritually mature. They have a title. Not so. I've discovered that the hard way. That's not always the case. Okay. And just because somebody has great leadership ability, you know, there are a lot of teenagers with great leadership ability. They will lead a whole crew of kids to destroy a building <laughs> or to do, or to do, well, they'll organize a party in the bathroom at their high school and invite the whole city. Like they, they have leadership ability and their leadership gift doesn't mean they're mature. It means they have a leadership gift. So this is where we can get, get sideways. Okay. Lastly, spiritual gifts. So again, Depending on the church background you grew up in, um, you would see this more prevalently in, in charismatic churches. Man, if somebody would stand up and prophesy or speak in tongues or exercise a spiritual gift, a power gift, it was like, whoa, spiritually mature. Not so. In fact, 1 Corinthians is the, is the letter in the New Testament that talks most about spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, all that stuff. Paul actually says in that letter, I'm writing to you because you're so immature. So clearly, those things aren't the markers of a spiritually mature person. Although those categories that I just showed you are the ones that typically we would go, oh, spiritually mature. And it's not the case. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 2. And here, the Apostle John is going to outline for us. He's going to speak to these three stages. And we're going to look at what he says and draw some conclusions around how we can categorize and qualify the three stages of spiritual development. Here's what he says. I'm writing to you, little children. excuse me now he's not writing to little children like physical little children he's writing to spiritual infants people who are new to the faith that's who he's talking to and he says i'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his namesake last week we talked about the infant stage and we said it's it's dependency and and the way the things that we need to know at the infant stage if you're new to faith what you need to know is your sins are forgiven god has done everything that needs to be done you are his child you are loved you're accepted that's the foundation on which you grow to the next two stages it becomes foundational so he's like i'm writing to children because that is exactly what you need to know and what you know then he says i write to you fathers he's going to write to the spiritually mature because you know him who is from the beginning i'm going to come back to this and explain it a little more in a second And then he writes to the young men. This is the deep end. You ready? I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. He's like, you're now strong enough to stand on your own two feet. You're strong enough to resist temptation. You can actually handle yourself. You don't need someone protecting you anymore. You have overcome. You're strong. You're able. And we go, isn't that spiritually mature? Actually, no. This is spiritual adolescence. He continues. He writes to each of these three again. He says, I'm writing to you children because you know the father the beginning of faith is knowing that you're forgiven and knowing that you are loved and knowing that you have a father in heaven who accepts you just as you are i write to you because you know the father then he writes to the fathers and he says the exact same thing nothing else needs to be said because you know him who is from the beginning 
There's a difference between knowing the Father and knowing Him who is from the beginning. Let me give you an example. When I was a little kid, I knew I was fortunate enough to have a Father who was present in my life. And I knew that my Father loved me. And I knew that when He was around, I was safe. And I knew that if I went off the rails, He would draw me back in and and be there for me. Like I knew that. But I didn't know Him. And when I became a teenager... I began to see my dad through a different light. I thought I knew more than my dad. (laughs) I pushed against his authority. I questioned everything he said. And through that phase, I learned that he's wiser than I knew. And now as an adult, I know him as a friend. And there's a deep understanding. I I understand what he's married and he has other kids and he has responsibilities and the things he's gone through. So the way I understood my father and knew him as a child was special. And it was like love and it was like dad was everything. But as I grew, I began to know him in such a deep and personal way as a friend. That's what, that's what John is saying. He's like, you fathers, you spiritually mature, you know God. You know him. The one who is from the beginning. You have a relationship with him that is different than a child. And lastly, here's the last passage. He says, I write to you young men because you are strong. I shouldn't do that. That's going to be embarrassing on the video. And the Word of God abides in you. So he's like, you not only are strong, but you're full of the Scripture. You know doctrine. You can, you can open the Bible and study it for yourself. And you've overcome the evil one. So you get this picture of victory and strength at the adolescent stage as he goes through these, uh, these three images. Now, uh, let me go back to, if you go to the next slide, um, I wrote this down. This is actually spiritual adolescence. Bible knowledge, leadership, and spiritual gifts. Those three things that we would typically say that's spiritual maturity, that's actually spiritual adolescence. Now, what's really important for me to tell you is that each of the stages stacks upon the other. Right? So when you go to spiritual adolescence, you don't lose the fundamentals of your faith. That God loves you, that you're accepted, that you're his child, that you're forgiven. Actually, that's the foundation for you to then begin to discover your gifts and calling at the next level. And then having Bible knowledge, leadership, and developing your spiritual gifts, all those things qualify you and are used at the next level of spiritual maturity. So we're building layer upon layer. So these of themselves is actually spiritual adolescence, not spiritual maturity. So here's our, here's our deep end, our shallow end, deep end. So everything we learn here, the front stroke, holding our breath, confidence in the water, the ability to tread water, all of that stuff gets used in the deep end and we build upon it. We increase our skills. We learn the backstroke. Right? Who has ever used the backstroke? Oh, my kid's drowning. <laughs> Nobody does that, right? But we learn all these things, right? We learn these techniques. We, we learn this stuff that we'll never use, but they're skills. And we learn them in the deep end. And as we're going to see later, they, they come in handy as we continue to move forward. So, God's desire for us is that we would progress from where we are in this process of spiritual development. If you're in the shallow end, that you'd progress to the deep end. If you're in the deep end, if you're spiritually an adolescent, then God is going to call you onto the pool deck, and we'll we'll talk more about that as we go forward. So here's what I want to do. Last week, I started with this grid, so you can throw that up, um, the grid. And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to build out some of the qualities and characteristics of each of these stages. So I'm going to show you, um, we said this last week, that infancy is marked by dependency. You need someone to feed you. You need someone to cook for you and to do your laundry. You need someone to, if you're in church, you need someone to teach you the scriptures and how to read them. And you need someone to pray with you. And you need someone to encourage you when you're down because you, maybe you can't stand on your own yet. But the process of moving into adolescence is the process of becoming independent. Independent. Remember what John said? Here's what he said. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. 
You have to become strong. You have to become, you have to move from dependency, if you can go to the next one, dependency to independence. Now, here's one thing I've noticed about this. As a parent of four adolescents, the process of our children moving from depending on mom and dad to being independent is painful. <laughs> it's pain. A couple of people are grown. They're like, oh yeah, we, we know, right? Because, because for your child to say, I don't need you anymore. I can take care of it myself. They, they have to necessarily push back and they don't always know how to do that. You get a couple nods and winks from some people who've been there, right? Like they, they push back. And this is right. This is actually the process that has to happen because they don't, here's the thing. They have to learn how to fight for themselves. And sometimes that means that they're fighting against you. Uh, I'm encouraging some young parents right now. I could just tell. And you know, knowing that your children, you know, in the natural are going to push back against your authority and tell you, you don't know anything and you don't understand. You grew up before the internet and all the things you're going to hear. Okay. When they're saying all those things and you're listening to them, you're just like, no, you don't get it. It's necessary. It's part of the process for them. And this is true in church. I, I talk about people, you can to go back to the last one. I talk to people all the time. And uh, in, in church, the way, the way this looks like is like as a person, they come to church. Now, here's the one thing I've noticed. People who are new to faith don't cause any problems. They don't. They're like, oh, the Bible says that? Amazing. Oh, God loves me. Hey, what do we believe with that? And you say, here's, here's how we best understand the scripture. And they're like, cool. And they make their notes and they move on. Amazing. They're like, instruct me. And then when people become spiritual adolescents, it's like, oh my gosh, why do we believe it that way? Why don't we do this? And why don't we change that? And what, uh, do you even have it? Are you even qualified to be a pastor? Like, <laughs> I just uh, smile. It's like, I love you. I get what's going on here. I get what's going on here. God help me. I get it. I remember, um, man, I, just the, the spiritual adolescence. And by the way, most Christians in most churches who attend regularly are spiritual adolescents. I'm just going to put that out there. Like most Christians, unless they're Christmas and Easter Christians, and they continue to attend and move, they move into the deep end and they just stay there because they don't, because they think they've arrived. They don't know that there's more. And so they just stay there. And so if you get too many of them, it's, you know, you can imagine if you have a family and like 90% of them are teenagers, there's going to be some headaches, you know? And so that people get stuck there and it's often very combative, but, but we love every person in every stage. I need to state that really clearly. And then we move on to the next one. Ignorance. Little children are ignorant. They don't, they don't know about the world, right? Like they don't. When I was a little kid, my parents told me people kissed, they had a baby. And I was like, sweet, I got it. I figured it out. And then I went to health class, you know, in high school, mind blown. <laughs> knowledge, knowledge as you gain a knowledge, it opens up the world to you, right? Like the more you learn, the more you study. And this is the thing, um, you know, when we're talking about in the natural teenagers, they go to school and then they go to high school and then they go to university and they actually know more than their parents about a lot of subjects. And they have all this knowledge exploding in their head and no experience. And so what happens is you have all this knowledge. And what Paul says, he says, knowledge actually puffs up, makes you proud and arrogant. And you don't know what you don't know because you... And so this is what happens while this stage is incredible. The adolescent stage is all about acquiring knowledge and growing and learning. It's incredible. But it's often, again, when I came home from Bible college, I moved back home with my parents for a year before I got married. And when I came home from Bible college, I had spent years studying the Bible, exegeting scripture, writing sermons, teaching other. And I'm just, I came home and I would get into these theological arguments with my parents. 
And I'm like, well, the Bible says this. And I'm quoting verses and they're just smiling. And oh, that's great, Nathan. That's great. And I didn't realize it. But that combative spirit that I have to be right and I know everything, they probably recognized it. Uh, they're like, yeah, we've seen this before. Good for you. You've arrived in spiritual adolescence. I thought I was mature. And some of the things that 20 years ago, I thought, I was like, I know this to be a fact. The Bible says this, and I got all this. And now, half of those things, I'm like, I just don't know. Because I've learned some stuff I didn't know. Anyway, we move from ignorance to knowledge, and it's part of the process. So when someone comes to me and they're arguing with Scripture, I'm like, this is awesome. It's part of the process. You have to learn to think for yourself. You have to develop your understanding of theology and God. And, 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 and you have to push back and you have to work through it as you grow in, in knowledge. Here's another one. We'll go to the next one. Um, we have, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. I wanted to show you this. This adolescent stage is about becoming proficient in the word of God. Knowing what's there. Knowing what you believe. Being able to um, stand on the word of God. So let's move forward a couple slides um, to the next one. So ignorance, okay, undeveloped to developing gifts. Little children are little bundles of potential. There are, I believe that every person has gifts and abilities that God has intrinsically put in you. And, and you and those who are helping you have to develop those gifts and you become who, you, who God wants you to be. So we're undeveloped when we're little. And I remember when my wife and I would look at our little babies and we'd hold them in our arms and they all looked the same. They were kind of bald and chubby. And you'd hold these little babies... And I remember wondering as a dad, I wonder what's in them. I wonder who they'll become. I wonder what their strengths will be. And then as they became children, so four, five, six, seven years old, you could start to see little glimpses of their strength and you start to see little glimpses of the things that catch their interest. And you're like, oh, maybe, maybe they're going to be an athlete. And then it's like, oh, no, artist. Maybe they're going to be, oh, dancer. Oh, you know, this one's giving us a hard time. Leader, leader. I profess it by faith. He's a leader. And so... So you're looking and you're watching as they develop and, and there's these gifts that start to emerge and they begin to grow and develop. And this is the stage. Now, by the way, when someone is developing their gifts, so let's, let's think about soccer. You get a little kid on the soccer field. They're going to make so many mistakes before they become proficient at it, right? Kick the ball into the wrong net. Everyone's like, no, you know, kicking it out of bounds. And then eventually they start to learn how to aim it at the goal and control it with their feet. And so Here's the thing, if the church can't be a safe place for people to practice and develop their gifts, how will anybody grow to spiritual maturity? Hey, you led the wrong way. Hey, you said something you shouldn't. Let me ask you a question. How many of you who are adults now, and, and free to classify yourself as that, um, if you're an adult, how many of you said or did something you regret as a teenager? Put up your hand. <laughs> okay, this is the point. So, if the church has many, many spiritual adolescents who are learning to grow in their leadership, in their encouragement, in their spiritual gifts, and we don't give them the room to make mistakes and practice and fail and fall, if we expect them to do it perfectly, they can't grow, they quit. You see, this is so important to have this conversation. We have to be a place where people can make mistakes, get up, dust themselves off, and try again, and we encourage them to continue to grow in their gifts. And again, I've been around churches where people, they make a mistake. They say the wrong thing and it's like, you're never, you're never doing that again. They, they make a bad choice and they're never given another opportunity. So we have to be a place where people can fail and try again. Isn't that how we raise our kids and how they grow to become adults? So we need to do the same thing. Uh, Peter writes this. He says, as each has received a gift. And you have to ask yourself the question, do you believe that God has given everyone a gift? 
I do. Use it to serve one another as good stewards. So we're supposed to use it for others, but we've got to develop it first. And that's, that's where the church needs to be a safe place. So we move from undeveloped, go to the next slide for me, undeveloped to developing gifts. And let's go on to the next one. Weakness to strength. Little children are weak. You've got to protect them. You've got to keep them safe. Hopefully, as, as your children in the natural grow to become adults into adolescents, they become stronger. You know, I, I don't know. I, I would think in lots of ways I was healthier and stronger in my 20s than I am now in my 40s, right? Like strength is, is, is sort of, you reach the pinnacle of strength at this age. That's why young people go to war and all those things. The strength is there. And we move from weakness to strength where we can defend and protect ourselves. And in, in the same way, uh, as people enter into the spiritual adolescent stage, they grow strong in their faith. They grow strong in, in what they believe and they start to develop their gifts. The question is, can they use their strength for others? That's going to be the real question of maturity, right? Uh, I remember so many times when uh, I was trying to do something with my strength and my dad came in and using old man strength. I still don't know that old man thing. It's, I couldn't open the, the jar and he'd just go, and he'd just pop it open. Like, what in the world? My biceps are bigger than yours. And he just grins at me. You'll see someday. Old man strength, right? It's, it's the ability to channel and use that strength for the, for the right thing. And strength without being able to control it can be really dangerous. So again, weakness to strength. Um, let's look at the next verse. This is just, again, I write you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, have overcome the evil one. I want you to see that these characteristics of a young person in the faith, an adolescent, are strength and gifting and all these things. Um, so let's, let's go on uh, to the next one after this. We talk about receive to achieve. This is really important. And I think I'm going long, so I'm going to make sure, yeah, I'm okay for time. Receive to achieve. A little child receives from the day they're born, they open their mouth and they're like, feed me. You can put anything in their mouth. They'll suck on it. It's really fun. Um, so they're just like, feed me. Get, and even a little two-year-old, like, I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm tired. I, like, give me what I need. Receive, receive, receive. And the process of growing to spiritual adolescent is the process of beginning to achieve. So here's what I mean. It's like, all of a sudden, that little kid goes, tie my shoelaces. And it's like, no, you're ready to do it yourself. Yeah, but you do it faster. Yeah, but you need to learn. You need to, and then they learn, and then they feel that sense of, I've achieved something, right? I've learned how to cook my own food. I've learned how to do my laundry. I've learned how to drive a car. I've learned how to manage my bank account. And so we're achieving, 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 achieving. And this is part of the process of maturity, is achieving. And in the same way with our faith, instead of everything being handed to us on a silver platter, we begin to achieve. We go, man, my life is, is, is more holy and righteous than it was five years ago. I've done some work. I've, I've eliminated a bad habit. I've begun a discipline of reading the Bible and praying every day. Like I'm achieving, I'm, I'm progressing. And so you feel that sense of achievement, which is, which is incredible. But it's also why, again, in the spiritual adolescence, Paul writes to the New Testament church and he's constantly warning them not to go back to works. He's like, you were saved. You started to your faith by grace. God, you saved me. You love me. I'm and now all of a sudden, as you're growing in your maturity, you begin to start achieving things. And now you think that your achievement is what got you there in the first place. He's like, oh, whoa, whoa. God wants you to achieve, but you don't depend on that. And so this is why at, the, at this stage of adolescence in the spiritual progression is where people often end up turning to works. They start turning back to what they do. They start thinking that God loves them and accepts them because of what they've accomplished. 
instead of because of his grace. You understand what I'm saying? So this is, this is just how this works. So um, let's see what we got here next. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So in light of using your gifts and developing, he's like, don't, 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 get, don't get proud. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's warning against this very thing of like, as you achieve and get better and stronger, that you don't begin to think that you're all that. You're still dependent on the grace of God. So receive to achieve. We'll go to the next slide. And then we're going to go, I think this is the last one I've got. And then I'm going to do a couple fun things as we close. What Christ has done. This is the most important thing that a person needs to know at the infancy stage of their faith. What Christ has done. He died for you. He forgave you. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. You're accepted as you are. But the process of becoming a spiritual adolescence is discovering who you are in Christ. I am victorious. I am strong. I am gifted. I'm called. I'm able. And beginning to exercise and develop your strengths and your gifts to be able to stand on your own two feet and not be dependent on others and know who you are in Christ. Okay? That, that is uh, the idea here. So I want to jump ahead to the pool stereotypes. Can we do that? Let's have a little fun. I'm going to show you a couple pool stereotypes. And now that we've sort of outlined this adolescent stage, uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with this. So pool stereotypes. Here's the first one. I kind of wanted to do some of these each week. It's kind of a fun way to just poke at us all in the places where we might need to make some changes. So we can go to the next one, please. Pool stereotypes. Here's the first one, the challenger. And the challenger is motivated by achievement. We talked about that. This was me as a, as a, as a, as a teenager. Man, once I learned how to swim, I got it and I was like, hey, let's race, cross the pool and back. And I just kept doing it until I could beat everybody. Cause that's like, I'm the challenger, right? It was like, hey, let's see who can hold their breath the longest. Let's see who can swim down and get 20 sinkers off the bottom with one breath. It was just like, let's see who can jump the highest off the diving board. This was me. It was just like the challenger. And so when you see somebody that's just ultra competitive, it's, it's often a sign. Um, that they're in this stage in the church people who are really focused on achievement and, and challenger they'll often serve in multiple like too many departments overwork themselves burn themselves out they're trying to trying to prove something to others and again the goal of this stage is to develop your gifts not to burn yourself out so this is the challenger the next one we have is the uh, the self-conscious i like this one okay the self-conscious person is actually motivated primarily by fear. And it's the, like, what if, what if I am authentic with others and share my strengths and my weaknesses and they reject me? So we just keep covered up. Don't reveal ourselves to anyone. We're not authentic, right? We don't use our gifts and talents within the church. We stay back. <laughs> uh, why? Because, um, because of fear. And so, of course, um, I remember there were always teenagers like that, you know, with the swim shirt on, the guys with the swim shirt. And I totally get it. It's just self-conscious. Like, what if I, I can't be myself? I can't relax. And, and, of course, God wants to call you out to, to be who you're called to be, not to be driven by fear. I got another one here, the attention seeker. <laughs> Everybody knows the kid that, like, just does the belly flops and, like, just tries to get everyone's attention. That's always fun to watch. Um, the attention seeker is often fueled by uh, insecurity, insecurity. Um, and it's like, well, if I don't take myself seriously, no one else will, <laughs> right? I, I just come to church and be in a small group. I'm just going to joke all the time. I'll never be serious. I'll never 
push to the next level. I'm just going to continue to have fun. The, the last one that we'll talk about here, and then we'll give you a couple practical steps, is the critic. One of the things I've noticed about this stage of spiritual adolescence is there's a tendency, because we said of all the knowledge you learn and all the capability of gifts and all that stuff, it's really easy to become critical of others. You're pointing at us like, they can't even swim. Yeah, they're two, okay? Their backstroke is terrible. They're not turning their wrist right. Like sitting on the sidelines, crit- Pastor Sermon, he messed up again. I can't believe it, man. It's just, it's, it's so easy to become critical. And, at, you know, one of the things that really, really, really gets my goat is um, these people on the internet. So I'm on YouTube a lot, and there are always people criticizing ministries, pastors, worship bands theology and they're literally sitting in their basement with this cool studio with a couple lights and a camera and they got 500,000 views on this video and they're criticizing some pastor who's in the trenches leading people dealing with drug addiction and broken marriages and trying to lead people carrying all this responsibility and they're sitting there criticizing everything they say please 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 don't be a critic don't be a critic if you think you can do it better please go do it better but stop criticizing this is dangerous, okay? And it's so natural for us. And the more we know, it's like, oh, that's wrong and that's wrong. And then, okay? This is motivated by pride. And we, we don't want any of that. So there's my four stereotypes for this week. Um, got a couple more slides to show you. Uh, maybe some of you, as you're listening through, if you can go to the next one, uh, some people are listening today and you're thinking to yourself, um, you know, I've been here for a while and, and I, feel like, I feel like I've been stuck here for a while. I wish I could take more time, but I only have a few minutes. So I'm just going to share with you four simple things. And if you have taken notes, just write these things down. If this is where you feel like you are, and I would suggest that most Christians in most churches are in this stage, stuck here. Um, here's four simple things you can do. Number one, and by the way, these are, these are some things that you would tell your teenager who's developing to maturity. You would tell them the same things. Choose your community wisely. You will become like the people you hang around with. And if you hang around with mature, wise people, you will become mature and wise beyond your years. And this is true of the natural, but it's also true in the spiritual. If you get into the right community and surround yourself with the right people. Some of you have seen 35-year-old men that still act like they're 17 or 18 on Frosh Week. And it's because they've chosen the wrong community. The people that they're hanging around with think like that and act like that. And so choosing, this is what you'd tell your teenager. You'd be like, choose your friends wisely. It's going to make a difference. And so I would say the same to each every one of us. Here's the second one. Learn what's worth fighting for. Again, in this stage, you're just going to push back on everything and independence and strength and knowledge and all that stuff. But part of growing to spiritual maturity is learning which battles to fight and which not to fight. There are some things that are not worth arguing about and there are a few things that are worth fighting over and knowing what they are. So figuring out what that is uh, is going to be a huge help for you as you grow to spiritual maturity. Here's the, the third one. Adopt responsibility. Nothing. You can take all the parenting classes you want, read all the parenting books, When you start caring for a child, you're going to learn some things that the books won't teach you because you've adopted responsibility. So it's not just about knowing the facts. It's about carrying the weight of responsibility. And spiritually mature people, we're going to talk about this next week, they carry weight and responsibility. And it's in that carrying of the weight and responsibility that they grow to spiritual maturity. There are some lessons you only learn when you're carrying a load. Does that make sense? Here's the last one. We'll wrap it up embrace sacrifice one of the things we're going to learn next week about spiritually mature people they embrace sacrifice you will not know i mean you can know jesus 
But you won't know Him until you suffer with Him and for Him. And when you do, you will know Him and His sufferings. That's what Paul says. He said, I want to know Him and His sufferings. I want to suffer like He did so I can truly understand His love for me and for others. So, so these are some of the things that you can begin to put in place to grow to the next level. Let me end with a story and we'll pray. When I was a teenager, I was being my typical challenger self and I was racing other kids. And I thought I was pretty good because I won a few races and came in second for a few races. And I thought, I'm the fastest swimmer in the pool. And then, one of the lifeguards who went off duty was like, hey, can I join your race? <laughs> like, sure, this is going to be awesome. There's girls watching, they're going to see me beat the lifeguard. They said, go, and we started, you know, got head down, I'm swimming across towards the shallow end, and I touch the wall in the shallow end, I turn around, and I look, and the lifeguard's almost back to the other side. I'm like, oh! <laughs> and it dawned on me that for the first time in my life, as a teenager, that the best swimmers aren't always the ones in the deep end. And so next week we're going to pick it up right there and we're going to talk about spiritual maturity and what we do with all these gifts and talents and strength that we acquire and achieve in this adolescent stage. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this church, for everyone in the room, everyone watching on our live stream. God, we want to be a church that helps people to progress in the knowledge and likeness of Jesus, that we would become more like you, that we would grow from infancy in our faith to develop that strength, to figure out what our gifts are, and to express our gifts, to learn to do backflips in the faith. But Lord, that we wouldn't stop there, that we would continue towards maturity. Lord, I pray, as I did last week, that you, by your Spirit, would put your finger on any area of our lives where we need to make progress. You are our loving Father, and you accept us no matter what, but you call us higher, and you know what we're capable of, and you invite us into it and empower us by your Spirit. And so we pray, God, would you continue to do your work in us this week as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.